This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome in to another edition of Bragging Rights. Week six is in the books, and it was full of some stinkers, some clunkers, and some shining moments, and we are here to break it all down. Before we get into it, I need to introduce my co-host. I am Madison, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother Pierce. Pierce, how are you? Doing well. I'm recovering uh, from a a good buddy's wedding this past weekend, so unfortunately, I've been playing catch-up this uh, the past 48 hours, trying to uh, consume as much information from these games analysis from these games as possible as as well as going back and and reviewing the tapes of you know some of the bigger games so um excited to get into this because uh some interesting things happened this weekend and uh it sets up all for uh for the next few weeks moving forward yeah, I was shocked at some of the outcomes. I, I got to watch most of these games, and when I wasn't, uh, I was commuting around town a little bit, doing some stuff. Um, I was listening to uh, college football's version of the Red Zone on um, the TuneIn app called the College Football Blitz. And uh, yeah, there were times that my mouth fell open because I was like, what is happening? And then there were some times that I felt validated in some of my uh, predictions and, and thoughts and uh, feelings about this slate of games. Uh, I mean, all in all, though, pretty good week of football. Very front-heavy, I felt like, towards the end. I was kind of, you know, keeping my head up to watch the Clemson-Miami game and not really as interested in that, uh, you know, after the the absolute showdown in uh, Vaught-Hemingway there. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting uh, – it's just going to be an interesting season with all of this conference play going on. Uh, we've got the game of the season coming up with Georgia-Alabama. Yep, potentially. Um. Certainly, you gotta I, think so. I go back and forth between being co- like optimistic, very cautiously optimistic, and then just wanting to vomit uh, because I'm nervous. And it's only we're recording this on a Monday night, and I got a long week ahead of me, Pierce. Yeah, we've been in this scenario uh, as Georgia fans too many times. I feel like, eh, you know, maybe not a ton, but you know, a handful of times over the last ten plus years. So we know better than to get our hopes up. But there are reasons to be optimistic. So it, it ought to be a, an epic show down there in Tuscaloosa. Absolutely. And in a year like 2020, I just hope that uh, we stay healthy and uh, don't get hurt. Whew. Especially after you see what happened to Dak Prescott last night uh, on the same day that Alex Smith comes back after two years. So it's it's 2020 is weird. And the hits just keep coming. But nonetheless, there is football and uh, super excited to break it all down with you here today. So before we get into recapping the games that we picked for the uh, week six slate of games, we've got to get into our good, our bads, and our uglies. Pierce, my good of the week is Lane Kiffin's play calling. Uh, Nick Saban usually is touted for his very strong defenses. Uh, they they don't rebuild. They just reload. All of the cliches you want to throw out and Kiffin had their number. I mean, Saban even post-game said it's like they had our plays or our signals or something like that. Uh, Lane fired back. I didn't actually read the quote. He fired back afterwards with something else. But uh, it was just very uncharacteristic of Alabama, 
111 combined points between the two teams. And Alabama really had to get their offense just answering every single time and, and keeping pace with Ole Miss because they were just lights out, uh, or like not lights out, but they were off to the races rather on offense. Matt Corral was really good for them. He's he's going to be a good player for them if he bulks up a little bit, uh, which they're trying to do. And then I think Kiffin, while he did inherit good talent, I think that's the difference. As Kiffin and Kiffin uh, inherited, can't speak, inherited good talent uh, from Matt Luke uh, on flip side in the Magnolia State. Uh, Mike Leach is struggling a little bit, but uh, I don't think he had the cast of characters that he really was looking for with his scheme. But, you know, hats off to play uh, play calling from Kiffin there. He doesn't get it done ultimately with Ole Miss, but this is going to be a fun matchup for years to come. You know, the, just the chirping before the game and things of that nature, the back and forth jabs from the coaches. Uh, and, and once Kiffin gets his guys in there and truly gets his team rolling, I mean, that's going to be a really fun matchup from year to year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. So that's my good of the week. What's your good of the week? My good of the week is Missouri. This very easily could have been a, an ugly or a bad performance uh, on the opposite side for LSU. Um, certainly, I know the, the Cajuns down in uh, Baton Rouge are upset about about the prospects of their team moving forward. But got to give props to Eli Drinkwich, um, you know, coming into the season. Really didn't know if they'd win a game outside of Vanderbilt. They now have two under their belt um, and have, you know, they look like they maybe could upset someone else, maybe a Kentucky or, uh, you know, you just never know. A South Carolina surely is on the table. So, um, or did they lose to South Carolina first? No, it was Tennessee. Um, so, so yeah, South Carolina's on the table for them. You look at it, they started Sean Robinson transfer from uh, TCU, uh, I think it was week two against Tennessee. He struggled. I'm going to butcher this name, but Basilek came in, Basilek came in and had an incredible performance, 406 yards, just shredded the LSU uh, defense. And, and Roundtree at, at tailback had a very efficient game. And, you know, they've got to shore up some things on defense, yes, but if they can con- keep playing like this uh, at least to, uh, you know, three quarters of what they, the output they did um, on Saturday against the Tigers, then they have a chance to, to win a couple more games, certainly a couple more than I thought they would at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I got to say hats off to uh, Eli there with that game because he. He was – I'm not saying that they don't have good t- players there, but this is not a school that you get five stars out the walls and you just can go in there and cherry-pick what you want. Uh, everybody's kind of making fun of him in the offseason when he was celebrating getting a commitment from a three-star, but he's maximized on that, and uh, like you said, they look pretty good there in Columbia. Uh, my bad, Pierce, is the difference between Florida's defense and offense. Their offense – I'd put I could put them in the conversation for one of the best in the nation. I think Kyle Trask is doing really well. He loves that connection to Kyle Pitts, and uh, Kyle Pitts is just catching everything thrown his way. But their defense can't stop crap. Uh, and I'm not saying that Jimbo and Texas A&M are bad. I think that they're a fine team. They're okay. They're fine. They're they are what they are. You know, they're they play in the SEC West, and that's just difficult for them. But prior to the the schedule changes, we thought they were going to win ten games potentially. Um, but they're not all of that that we thought they were going to be. I mean, you, you, they're they're not infallible, I should say. And and when you look at Florida's defense, they just are unable to stop anything. They can't tackle. Um, secondary's not great. I mean, this is a team that used to say that they were DBU, and they couldn't stop Kellen Mond at all. Uh, and their offense, on the other hand, is so good. And And to sit here and say, you know, oh, well – We've got one of the best offenses in the nation, but you can't have one of the worst defenses in the nation. And and they might shock a, a shock us and beat Georgia uh, at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I don't know, uh, but you can't win a championship with a bad defense. At the end of the day, you're going to have to be able to stop people. You can't just rely on your quarterback and your you know star receiver to connect every single time and outscore opponents. So that's that's my bad of the week is is that defensive performance. I don't know why teams keep hiring Todd Grantham. Uh, third and Grantham is is 
alive and strong there in Gainesville, and then it's just it's really bad. So I'm switching this up on you. I told you something different for my bad. I'm going to go me. I'm going to go me. Not only have I been poor in my picks um, year to date, but a, a team that I was very high on coming into the season was Louisville. And they had done nothing but stink. They have stunk it up. They have – I mean, regardless of how they lost to Pitt, they were not really competitive in the Miami game, and they just lost to a pretty poor Georgia Tech team, regardless of how their prospects look for you know a year or two down the road. They're still a rebuilding team. And, and, and for a team that in Louisville that outgained Georgia Tech, uh, they had 606 total yards of offense compared to Georgia Tech's 465. To end up losing this game by more than just a touchdown is unbelievably unfathomable to me. Three uh, fumbles lost. They also had an extra one that they ended up recovering. But this uh, this Louisville team is going downhill quick. And I know Satterfield will right the ship. Uh, they, they lost a lot of this offseason, but still – um, I expected a little bit more out of this team, and, and so far they just don't look very competitive in the ACC. So um, I'll go with me, but specifically because I was high on Louisville. Well, there you go. You played yourself. Uh, Pierce, my ugly performance of the week is Mississippi State's fall from grace. Just a few weeks ago, we were on here talking about how incredible they looked, how KJ Costello, I don't know if these words left our mouths, but I know it was being talked about, uh, that he potentially could be a Heisman candidate down the line. You know, hey, we could potentially be looking at an unbeaten Mississippi State playing on Halloween night in uh, Tuscaloosa. Well, that that's that's not going to happen. Uh, I, I hate to tell you guys, they mustered up two points this weekend. Two. In case you don't know football all that well or you're not good at math, that's a safety that's literally no offensive points. Uh, the air raid is not dead. I mean, he's able to win with it. We've seen it. He's been other places. He's been able to. He he beat LSU, who's the defending national champs. Now, you know they're not that good. We're coming to find out. But uh, you know, it, it, I don't think it's necessarily that he can't win with it. It's just going to take a few years. So, it's an ugly performance, and it's it's going to stay ugly for a while. I think the way that uh, Mississippi State's playing. If you are a Bulldogs fan, hold out hope. The air raid is just needs time to develop, and he's got to get his people in there. It's just very different than SEC style of play, uh, and so these kids that are being have been recruited to his team that he inherited, they're not set up for the system he wants to play. Now he did go out and get a transfer quarterback in KJ Costello, who is now or was benched rather uh, this past Saturday. So uh, theoretically, he he had the guy he wanted to be able to run it at quarterback. But it just it's his, it's not set up for what he wants to do yet. So it's I think it's going to get there. But that is the roller coaster of being a Mike Leach fan. And uh, right now they're they're at the lowest, the lowest of lows. But uh, that's my ugly performance of the week. Is just Mississippi State's fall from grace, and I don't think it's going to get better necessarily uh, anytime soon. Unfortunately, mine. I think a lot of people would uh, would argue against this, but then the select few will will agree with me. It was the Red River rivalry. I. I you know, you expected one of these teams to stand up and maybe just they had a, a down week or two, you know, Texas in, in particular against TCU. And it wasn't even a just a true Big 12 type of affair. The offenses both really struggled in the first half, and then the defenses just quit in the second half in overtime. And it was unbelievable to watch. And, you know, some might argue that, that that's exciting football. While I can't make too many great arguments to, to defend that, it was so pathetic from a from an overall standpoint of these two teams just don't – not only do they not have the talent to, to compete for a national championship right now on these particular teams, but they've got a long way to go in my opinion. And, and uh, you know, it's crazy, the fall from grace, especially OU that ha- has had this year. I thought they'd be, they'd be decent. I thought Texas would be competing for the f- playoffs. And 
this game was very evident. It was ugly going back and forth. There was Sam Ellinger had a had a touchdown run of 25, 25 yards in the third OT or second OT, I believe. He didn't even get touched, and he was laboring. He was so exhausted. So, you know, you saw that all over the field. Um, you even had Spencer Rattler get benched. There was even word Gus Johnson confused a lot of people, the uh, play-by-play guy for uh, this game, saying that Tom Herman had been fired at half. Whoa, now they I were did not joking. They were joking, but people on message boards were like, "What? Did I just hear that correctly?" Um, so there was some up in the air. Maybe Tom Herman got fired at half, um, was and was continuing to play the you know coach the game. So a lot of crazy stuff. It was ugly all around. Ugly. Uh, it's just this game just stunk in all facets, and uh, it's clear these two teams are not at the top of the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, it's uh, it was not. It was a crazy finish. I was a little bit mocking the media who was calling it an instant classic, and I thought, you know, it's, it says something about the state of the Big 12 when we are calling two irrelevant teams who are not in the hunt for the playoff. Now, I understand. I want to enjoy everything. I don't want to just always focus on the playoff, but come on. When we're calling that game an instant classic, mm, what's classic is the meme at the end with the girl, the pissed-off uh, Texas fan who... Uh, well, that was That's great. I mean, any time there's a good-look, uh, you know, attractive... Attractive woman on, on, you know, doing something funny on screen, or, or, you know, in contrast, a uh, very large male on screen doing something goofy. It, 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 it's, it goes viral, and that's, you know, hey, I, I'm with her. I, hey, I, I do the same thing. It I was might say, even be we've worse. never been there. We've <laughs> never been in that situation, Pierce, where we've been in the student section and we wanted to, uh, you know, show our frustrations to the other team. Never. I've never. No. no. no not, well, not me. But let's just say none that I can remember. Uh, nothing incriminating (laughs) but fair fair point fair point all right well that is going to do it for our good our bads and our uglies of the week we are going to get into our recap of what we predicted for the week six slate of games i know it's kind of weird to go back and listen to that now i don't know why you would but at the same time if you want to you can go back and listen to that on the feed and uh, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss when we predict week seven coming up um, and uh, i think it's going to be an interesting one folks i promise i'll get better i am what I'm going to do is I'm in the in the depths in, in such a deep, dark hole right now that uh, I'm just going to start whatever I choose. Um, I'm just going to choose the opposite this week. Whatever I'm feeling, I'm going opposite this Ooh. week. See if that works out. It's, it's been rough. A little bit. Well, and, and, and a little peek behind the curtain to some of you guys. Um, you know, we do these things uh, early enough in the week where – you know, some injuries can take place or, you know, I start, I'm, I'm a gut guy. I'm a gut guy. Yeah. COVID very true in these, in this time. I'm a gut guy though. And I also consume a lot of information. So, uh, you know, we make these picks usually on Wednesday and, um, maybe I'll have to start tweeting out my, my, um, if I have any changes or additions to the, to the easy pieces of the week, because, you know, I've looked at those too. And, I kind of just make these funny little, like, I'll take the favorites, and then I change it. Like, for instance, the Tennessee-Georgia game. I was all over Georgia on Saturday, Friday and Saturday, but had Tennessee this week. So we'll figure out a way to uh, that I can maybe give you all some better yeah. info on that Make front. sure you're subscribed to our uh, – or subscribe. Make sure you follow us on both Twitter and Instagram to see if uh, we get anything workshop in there. We, we might have something in the works, just a little tease. Uh, and I've got a, my own little special project going over there called Mimosas with Madison. If you're not already clued in there, uh, go ahead and follow us. We're at Bragg and Pod across all social media platforms. Didn't mean to do a plug there, but might as well get it out of the way. Yeah, it worked. You know, it's funny. I, I When you started to make that plug for we might have something in the works too, uh, a different plug. And it was interesting. I was like, you know what? That's funny. I played right in. So Yeah, absolutely. Look at you. I mean, He's hey, I'm getting, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. 
Let's jump right in, Pierce. The first game was Texas A&M, and they upset the Florida Gators 41-38 to at home. Jimbo Fisher, who might have started to feel a little bit of heat under his seat, gets his first win over a top-five team, and he was emotional at the end of that game. Let me just tell you, I was a little bit uncomfortable, suffered from a little bit of secondhand embarrassment, but hey, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Florida, for what it was worth, was riding pretty high as they came into College Station. They were undefeated and sitting at number four in the nation, being called a favorite to win the East, Trask potential Heisman candidate, things of that nature. Uh, And here's what we knew about Florida heading into the game. Their offense was really good. I've already talked about it, my good, bad, and ugly, but their defense was really bad. And that held true in this game as well. That combination can win you some games. It's not sustainable though. And, and, And again, it proved true in this one in College Station. The Gators scored on each of their first three drives, Pierce, but they couldn't stop A&M ultimately and gave up 543 total yards. That is a lot, people. Uh, I think my takeaway from this game is that Florida, you're not going to be able to stop teams, so you have to eat clock and win the time of possession, which they did on their first drive. And I even tweeted out, from the Bragg and Rights in uh, Twitter, that that's exactly what they wanted to do. They ended up like seven minutes, and I was like, "You've got to, you've got to eat clock if your defense is bad and can't stop anybody." Um, but it, they didn't keep doing that, and I think it's partially to say that Trask has a tendency to get greedy, uh, and that's going to lead to turnovers against better defenses. But it's also just not conducive to being able to keep their defense off of the field. He needs to take chunk yardage as opposed to going deep every single throw. And he just, like I said, gets greedy. Um, But give Kellen Mond and company some credit. He threw for 338 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Almost half of those yards went to Caleb Chapman, who unfortunately suffered a likely season-ending knee injury, unfortunately. Um, And on the ground, Isaiah Spiller, 174 yards and two touchdowns. I hope I didn't take too much of your stats and things away. I'm sure you've got plenty to break down. Uh, But this was one that I got to watch every single minute of and had lots of thoughts and feelings about yeah no you, you know you, you, you I thought you had set me up perfectly for my big point in this game interestingly enough uh yes I was at a wedding and uh you know we were over at uh you know at the house getting ready and everything and uh unfortunately I was with a bunch of Vandy people so they wanted to watch the, <laughs> the Vandy Ooh, the Vandy South Carolina thanks. game over this game uh, I did get to tune in on their tv and and uh, followed this very closely went back and watched I think the I think the name of the game here is because Florida is good enough offensively to outscore people. To your point, I didn't know if you'd get there, but this is the key. Whatever Florida's doing or trying to do, the lack thereof on the ground is 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 really going to hurt them against good opponents. It just is. To your point, whether that's having a bad defense and covering that up and trying to play ball control, you know, whether it's that or just the simple fact that in the SEC you kind of ha- you have to do that. Or else you give these you know teams, especially like AM who does have some really good athletes on the off side of the ball, they you give them too many opportunities. Um, it doesn't matter how good Trask is; he's you know you're just not going to give it get as many opportunities. And you do look back on Mullen's systems over the years, and you know he has good running backs. He's had good running backs in the system, but what he t- tends to have when he has these great years is a mobile quarterback mm-hmm. on top of a passing a good passing quarterback um and they don't have that trask is not that guy um and i just don't know if they have what it takes on the offensive line uh, they're better this year but i just don't know if they have the talent at running back either and i don't know if they're willing to commit enough to the running back uh, you know to handing the ball off enough to be honest with you sure um and and that's a shame but i mean hey a&m even though they uh they still gave up plenty of yards to trask they gave every team in the sec a blueprint to uh beat florida 
And um, yeah, shout out, uh, shout out Spiller for A and M. And Mon had a fantastic game too, as well as Chapman. Um, I I was high on Spiller after that first game against Vandy, even though it was an ugly performance as a for the team. Spiller looks all every bit the part. Almost kind of reminds me of a shorter Adrian Peterson, just the way he kind of runs and shifts those hips and drops them. Um, but yeah, it was a interesting game. Not surprised. The more this week went on, the more I favored A and M. But um, kind of how I went, to be honest. And it came down to a lot, you know, to a field goal, last second field goal, and it's kind of how I thought this game would go. North Carolina Pierce held on to beat Virginia Tech fifty six to 45. Yeah, that was a football score, not a basketball score. I know when you hear UNC and those kinds of numbers, you think, oh, they're playing basketball. Not yet, people. That was football. Uh, North Carolina was dominating at the half, leading 35-14. to 14. Virginia Tech ended up coming back to pull within five, making it a 42-37 to 37 game. Uh, but it was a little too late as UNC responded with back-to-back scores and outlasted the Hokies. Uh, this was another game where defense was just not a thing. Between these two teams, there was 1,151 total yards. Uh, that's crazy, crazy numbers. Uh, it was back and forth all night, but UNC did come away victorious, staying unbeaten on the season, moving up into the top five Pierce in the AP poll for the first time since 1997. Uh, good there for Mac Brown. Uh, you know, hey, Texas, look what you look what you missed. Look at the one that got away. Uh, and a couple of uh, players that really shined in that game. Sam Howell finally got clicking for the Tar Heels after a couple of so-so games. Three touchdown passes on the day. Michael Carter, 214 yards on 17 carries for the Tar Heels. Uh, good for them. I don't think they have it what it takes to win the ACC, but uh, really good uh, momentum for them there uh, in this divisionless year in the ACC. Yeah, I don't think they have what it takes either. That being said, this was a uh, much more dominant performance from UNC than the box score indicates, especially uh, from the final score standpoint. Virginia Tech went a little bit of a run in the third quarter there, but Sam Howell, that, that's what happens. You know, yes, their defense is going to be their weak link this year, um, but Sam Howell is good enough and this offense is good enough to put up enough points to beat most every team they play. Uh, the problem is sometimes they can score too quickly and get, they give – the opposing team have a lot of chances. And you got, that's kind of what I was hitting on with Florida against AM. and um, You know, Trask, you know, hit on – I think they scored in their first three possessions, and that's all great and dandy. But if you can't play defense, you give the team just as many chances to come back and score on you. So that's kind of how it was here in UNC. Uh, again, the box score was no indication of – UNC did dominate this game. They did win uh, pretty handily. Just the score didn't indicate it. Um, that being said, if UNC does want to, uh, to make a solid push here to – to, to try and get into the AC championship or potentially win the thing. They got to figure something out on defense. I'm just not sure they have it. Another barn burner was the Red River, whatever you want to call it. Oklahoma takes down Texas 53 to 45 in four overtimes. And it truly was a comedy of errors. Uh, that's how I would describe it. The Sooners were up by two touchdowns with five minutes left, but they allowed Texas to tie it up to send it to overtime. Uh, Trey Brown is the name you need to know. He comes up big for Oklahoma in the fourth overtime, picking off Sam Ellinger after the Sooners scored on their overtime attempt. Texas now has lost five of their last six six Oklahoma matchups and uh, gave, we already mentioned, the fantastic meme from a very pissed-off co-ed. Uh, unfortunately for Tom Herman, he's not fired yet. Uh, that is fortunate for him. Unfortunately for him, this is the kind of game where even if you lose every game as the Texas coach, you've got to win this one. So I don't know how much longer he's going to last. Uh, but but things are, you know, it's they, they were able to put up 53, but uh, things in uh, Norman don't look great 
either. Uh, both both quarterbacks struggled for both teams. Spencer Rattler actually got benched at one point, and Tanner Mordecai came in. Uh, Sam Ellinger was picked off a couple times and sacked six times. Uh, and with that, Pierce, the Big 12 might just be out of the playoff picture unless Oklahoma State can run the table. Done. Yeah, they're, they're done. Uh, Big 12 is absolutely finished. There's no chance any of them gets in the uh in the playoff and to add to what I said from my ugly earlier it wasn't just that these, the defenses struggled and you know they weren't crisp offensively from either side uh you know you hit it Rattler got benched the backup came in yes he went five of seven but he looked awful at times uh, you know a few of his throws were just like whoa this dude looks like a, a practice squad guy and then Ellinger even though his, statistically he put up uh, good numbers he <laughs> wasn't it wasn't anything to to you know tip your cap at then you looked at the 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 turnovers and the turnovers were unbelievably poor turnovers it wasn't like people were getting you know absolutely decleated and they fumbled as a result it was just poor 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 play and that's really what uh, opened my eye it was it was disgusting to watch in the first half and then it got a little bit more interesting in the second half due to the two offenses uh not really having any uh any defense to go up against. And so it made it a little bit interesting because there were points scored, but, and Texas came back from a 14 point deficit, but it was just awful defensive play uh, you, you, to cap, to put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Uh, I mean, the blocked field goal and then the missed 30, whatever, 33 yarder that just made me go, okay, I don't want to watch the rest of this game. I'm done with it. So yeah, the Red River, Red River, whatever the hell you want to call it. That's that's what I think of. That was disgusting. You kind of got this sense, but uh, interested to see how these two teams uh, fare moving forward. Uh, not quite dominating fashion from BYU, but they did get it done against UTSA, twenty-seven to twenty. Prior to this, the Cougars had been outscoring opponents one hundred and forty-eight to twenty-four. But a win is a win is a win, and the Cougars moved to four and zero on the season and up a spot in the polls to number fourteen. Zach Wilson, their quarterback, continues to shine. He was 22 for 30 for 292 yards and two touchdowns in their win. Uh, nothing really notable about this game, but you got to win your clunkers, and BYU did that. Uh, it's going to be a long road for them to potentially get in, but they're doing what they need to do to get it done. Still got a couple of big games standing in their way, so we'll see how those uh, turn out. But like I said, a win is a win is a win, and uh, BYU gets it done there at home. So rather quick, uh, <laughs> quick analysis. I don't have a there. ton. Like I said, I not a ton to say about this game. <laughs> I know. You know, when you play a, a team in uh, UTSA, unless you catch them on a down year, you can expect they're going to have some good talent uh, coming from that state. I did expect BYU to cover this game. Unfortunately, they didn't. They were in for a little bit more of a fight than than everybody would have thought. I think it was clear from this game that uh, BYU is not going to have a chance to backdoor into the playoffs. Uh, you, and when you when you're fighting an uphill battle like they are, you've got to absolutely dominate every game or have one have been undefeated for a multiple seasons leading up to this and had similar core still there uh, in. in you know, at your disposal or disposal. That being said, um, you know, 511 yards uh, compared to UTSA's 393. Surprised that this game was not a, a little bit uh, higher scoring for BYU. They did uh, they did fumble at once, um, but yeah, Wilson had a had a solid performance. But I don't think this is indicative of what BYU's team is going to be moving forward. It was just one of those games where they had been riding high, and you know it's easy to fall flat, um, especially when you're playing teams you're not used to seeing that might want to pull out all the stops like UTSA would to potentially upset a 15th ranked team. So um, I think this is not indicative of what BYU will be moving forward, but um, 
interesting to watch them because I do think they've got a lot of talent this year, maybe more than they've had in a while. This next one is going to hurt for you, Pierce, but Kansas State reigns supreme in the Battle of Purple, beating TCU 21-14. to And unlike other games in the day, this one truly was a defensive battle. Kansas State was able to force five TCU three and outs and get some good pressure on Max Duggan, who'd been playing really well. They held him well under his average yards so far on the season. Uh, quarterback at Kansas State, true freshman Will Howard, got his first start for the Wildcats after they lost their starter, Skylar Thompson, for the year. Um, but Howard was not able to find great footing either due to the Frogs' defense, although he did break off an 80-yard highlight run against the Big 12's best defense. Uh, Kansas State could maybe, and it's a big maybe, Pierce, enter the playoff group chat if they can run the table despite losing their season opener to Arkansas State. It's a big maybe, but ah, maybe. Sorry, I had to scoff at that because <clears throat> I, 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 I won't go too in-depth here, but I did say in our last podcast, our, our preview of this past week, that Coming off a, a major win against uh, Texas, TCU was liable to lay an egg. And these two teams do play defense, and they can tend to get into a possession type of game. So not surprised by this, but interesting that you say Kansas State. What what makes you think Kansas State's uh, – I guess because they, they have only lost to Coastal Carolina, right? Yeah. Oh, no, Arkansas State to start the season. Oh, I'm sorry. Arkansas State. Uh, and, was Kansas. And they, the, with the people they have left, I think they still have to play Oklahoma State. They'll play Baylor if Baylor can get their crap together COVID-wise. So they've got some good opponents coming up where it moves your strength of schedule up. And here's the thing, too, is what we have learned from those kinds of matchups are there's a bit of a recency bias. If that Central Arkansas – or sorry, Arkansas State game happened later on in the season, we're going – we're writing them off. But it's so, so back in our memories – we're a lot more forgiving of those kinds of losses um, than we are if it happens, you know, a trash game, trash style game right before uh, selection and things of that nature. Now, I don't think, I really don't think they're going to get it done versus all those teams. Um, but if they were, it's, it's like I said, it's a maybe. It's a big maybe, but it, it could happen. I don't love the fact now that they've got a true freshman at quarterback to make that happen. Um, but defensively, they were, like I said, they were able to get some good pressure on Duggan and uh, TCU. So any anything could happen in 2020. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's funny. I, I, I wanted to uh, scoff at your take there. And the funny thing is uh, the two teams uh, outside – the other team outside of Kansas State that has a legit chance to win the Big 12 and maybe backdoor into the playoff, I don't think it'll be the case, is Iowa State. And they're in a very similar scenario. They're having lost to a you know inferior team that, from all uh, – from, from every standpoint that I look at at least. Um, well, but now we haven't even mentioned, though, that Oklahoma State, the Pokes, are undefeated. Oh, that's true. That's true. A very good point. And and it's funny because after a couple of their first games, I I would not have written them in there. But they've taken care of business, and that's the name of the game. But going back to Kansas State TCU, yeah, you just knew these two teams. Uh, even though they they they're a different style from each other, they both play good defense. They if they need to play ball possession, they both can. And um, you know what's crazy? I've seen it enough to know that Kansas State actually does that probably better than TCU. TCU is what they want to do is get be up tempo and and get moving and and you know get down and score points pretty quick and and rely on that defense to to stop them. And you know I'd say the defense played very well all things considering. The offense just didn't show up. And credit to to Kansas State. Um, I mean, just a gross box score to look at, uh, a gross game to watch. It was disgusting. And a lot of people giving uh, TCU crap for their unis. I get them. A lot of people don't like them. The red is weird. The red is – I love it. The red's for 
it's to symbolize when a horn frog is in a predatory situation or someone's trying to attack them, they spit blood out of their eyes. So that's where the red comes from. And I heard a lot of people saying, where the heck does the red come from? Listen, this is not the first time they've worn these jerseys, these uni combos. No, no. But that's the reason, uh, you know, it didn't work. But it makes sense, you know. That's honestly, as weird as it sounds, that's one thing that made me think more highly on Kansas State last week going into this game was – we wouldn't bust these out if we didn't need some sort of extra motivation. Um, that's not always the case, but coming off a big uh, a big game at Texas and, and an upset win, you could see this was a flat, uh, a lay an egg type of spot. So not surprising at the end of the day, but man, this was an ugly game to watch. And even worse, if you don't like those uh, color combos from TCU, which I get. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate them, but the curse of the alternate jersey lives on with TCU. Uh, and they're not the only ones. Let me just say that right there. Uh, Alabama Pierce won a rare shootout, 63-48 to against Ole Miss. A phrase you don't often think about uttering in, hey, Nick Saban coached team is shootout. Uh, but this was the highest scoring regulation game in SEC history. It combined 111 points. Lane Kiffin already touched on it, called a hell of a game uh, against his old boss, but luckily for Nick, he has a pretty good play caller in Steve Zarkeesian himself and some absolute beasts at offense. Um, it was the first time Pierce in tied history with a 200-yard num- rusher and a 400-yard passer, Najee Harris and Mac Jones respectively there. Uh, but the story here is really Alabama's defense. They really failed at the fundamentals, which is very unlike them. Saban was pissed behind that mask. I'm sure he was cussing up a storm. And credit to Kiffin. As I already said, he has a very talented crew on offense. He's truly one of the best offensive minds, I believe, in the game. But Alabama isn't set up to handle tempo, and that's ultimately what they threw at them and that what we saw and uh, kind of was a little bit of their downfall was that up-tempo that Kiffin likes to run that Saban has been vehemently opposed to in the past and thinks that's uh, you know, harmful to the players and things of that nature. Uh, and, and and like I said, salt in full force on Saturday. Pierce, that's going to bring Saban to 21-0 against his former assistant. We'll see if Kirby can get it done next week. Lane got close. Got close, but ultimately it was too much to handle there. The, uh, the Tide were able to get it done. I, I'm really looking forward to this matchup for years to come as well. Yeah, crazy game. I'm surprised uh, that Ole Miss was able to to continue to do what they were doing in the first half. In the second half, I, I thought this game would be fairly back and forth in the first uh, 30 minutes. The second half, I mean, they were trading blows with Alabama, and that's uh, that's unlike anything that Alabama's seen. I guess you could argue uh, Joe Burrow last year or I guess Hugh Freeze's teams, uh, you know, a couple times over the last 10 years, but. It's crazy to see what uh, Kiffin's doing there in Oxford. You hit on it earlier. The talent's a little better than maybe what I think they have in, in Starkville, but they have no talent on the defensive side of the ball, and and I still think they've got a long ways to go on the offensive side of the ball. So it's crazy to see what Kiffin's doing with uh, you know, some you know what you can consider to be a lot inferior talent or a major inferior talent to what they'll have in a few years if Kiffin's able to recruit like uh, he normally is. Interesting, though, I, I, this game freaked me out about the, the game next week uh, between Alabama and Georgia because it, it provides a lot of uh, motivating points for, for Saban. The defense, again, to your point, looked pretty pretty poor. I mean, I know it's a spread team, a spread offense in, in the Rebels, but... Couldn't tackle. Couldn't do the I know, fundamentals. And, and that's scary, but at the same time, it's, it, it's interesting going forward. It's going to provide a... Uh, it's really going to show, because it's funny, you know, the last two years... Saban's teams have kind of taken on the identity of the offense. Um, 
and it used to always be defense. And and it looks that way this year. I'm very high on Mac Jones. Obviously, Najee Harris, they're, they're always going to have a good run game. And Mac Jones, I've been saying it for, for a few weeks now, he is much better than people think. You know, He actually um, statistically has off to a better start than both Joe Burrow last year and Tua Tungvaloa. That's just to put into perspective what he's doing. He is absolutely, he doesn't wow you, but he's so efficient and he can get, they've got so many good playmakers on that side of the ball. He can just distribute it and he's so good at that. That's his perfect skill set. Um, so, interesting. Yeah, you, you look at uh, Corral's a little bit sneakier uh, and is having a great season under Kiffin. And, you know, it's interesting to see what, what he might be able to do with uh, with some incoming talent that they, they could potentially have in Oxford. Um, interesting game. Will be fun to 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 watch this game moving forward. It, these are the teams that give Saban a little bit more trouble, and I think Kiffin's here to stay for a few few more at least a few more years. We'll see uh, what might come calling around the corner. But regardless, it's going to be fun to hear that banter over the next couple of years. Pierce, Mississippi State has officially boarded the Mike Leach roller coaster. As I said earlier, they fall to Kentucky 42, or 42, 24 to two. Uh, and, and what a wild ride, like I said, to go from breaking records and beating the defending national champs in their home stadium to being benched. But that is how it is going for KJ Costello. Uh, I already talked about it. I don't think the air raid is not going to work against SEC defenses. I just think Leach is going to need time to get his guys in there and develop it. Uh, and they didn't have the full offseason to teach a brand new scheme, uh, so that hurts them as well. Uh, the Kentucky defense peers had six turnovers in this game after not a single turnover in their first two games. And as far as offensively, no one really needed to be good for Kentucky on offense because of that defensive performance, and they weren't. Uh, they didn't really shine at all on offense, but they got the job done, and uh, they're going to get ready here to take on a pretty good defensive team. So Kentucky's got some things they need to fix, but ultimately the final score, 24-2 to for the Wildcats. This game threw me for a loop more than maybe any other game this weekend. You know, you go back to some of the storylines to begin the season. You had Mississippi State upsetting uh, LSU, looking fantastic doing so. Thought KJ Costello could be a contender for the Heisman in this regime. You did know that. I think anybody that has a, has a brain uh, knew that. You know, in Mike Leach's offense, there are going to be ups and downs. It's just a way. Uh, that's just how that offense rolls. Um, but then you go back and you see Kentucky. They lost to Auburn in an unfortunate way, but Auburn doesn't look all that great this year. They lost to. Um, Ole Miss and Ole Miss is looking a little bit better this year than than we'd expect, but you know, Mississippi State beat LSU. LSU went on to lose to to Missouri, um, so it's very interesting how you look at Week One. Mississippi State was the talk of the town, and now Ole Miss is uh, the talk of the state there uh, down in Mississippi. So, oh how uh, how quickly things can fall. Um, yeah, this was a this was another ugly game. I mean, Costello, it's very clear, and I was. Uh, very curious to see how he'd move, he'd play going forward because he didn't play in an air raid offense or, or an offense out in Palo Alto and for Stanford that threw the ball that often. He was much more of a system quarterback, handed it off, you know, uh, more of a, a 21 personnel guy, you know, two tight ends, one running back, play action passes, you know, tended to be his bread and butter. He threw so well, he just looked so great against LSU, but their defense has been their weak spot. So Costello struggled. His, his accuracy is not there. His decision-making is probably worse. You know, Kylan Hill, their best, their best player, I think on their entire team had a decent day uh, receiving the ball, but you know, you got to get him more involved if you want to have a chance. And I got to say, even though Kentucky uh, didn't play all that well, offensively a gritty, gritty win for them coming off a very, 
frustrating loss to Auburn where they got a couple poor calls uh, going against them that I think really turned the tide in that game. And then, you know, losing a, a heartbreaker to Ole Miss at home. So good to see them get back on the, get back on the horse and, uh, Interested to see where Mississippi State goes from here. They'll have some good games against some some maybe inf- uh, superior opponents, some better opponents. But you know, it's it's those eggs that they lay that uh, in this Mike Leach air raid that are going to be interesting to watch moving forward as well. Tennessee's eight game win streak was snapped as they get beat late by Georgia, losing forty four to twenty one. What started Pierce as a great game for the Vols ended up getting ugly quick in Athens. The score at half was actually 21 to 17, but Georgia went for 27 unanswered points in the second half. Granted, the first touchdown for the Vols was a bad snap by the Dogs, recovered in the end zone for a defensive touchdown, but the Vols played well after that to add on to the lead, uh, and, and I started getting nervous. I started thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I was getting texts from people at work, um, and I, you know, as a, as a Georgia fan in Vol country, that's treacherous. I was getting a little nervous. Wouldn't had to change my shirt at halftime, switch the mojo up. Uh, but UT was absolutely stifled on the rush, which was ultimately it has been their shining star throughout the uh, first two games. Ultimately, they were held to minus one yard. Uh, and Garantano, a fifth year player should have better football IQ than he does. Uh, He turned the ball over in back-to-back possessions in the third quarter. Now, granted, the defense was able to hold Georgia to field goals on both those possessions, but points are points uh, in a game like this, a tough game like this. Once he got flustered, Pierce, he started to look terrible. Uh, And and on the offensive side for Georgia, Stetson scares the crap out of me, but he was able to get it done. Uh, The dogs struggled to run on Saturday, which is a little bit scary heading into uh, an Alabama situation to, to, to potentially have to have Stetson have a lights out game. Um, a huge concern for me was the lack of being able to get short yard conversions uh, once at midfield, then again at the goal line. Um, but defensively, we're, we're, oh my gosh, it's, I, I don't worry when the defense is on the field. So, so what was your most exciting player or, or si- you know, position group to watch on defense then? Well, the D-line. Because it's all, it's all great. but Our front seven was great, D-line, especially yep. with the hype coming in to this game about how good uh, UT's O-line was. Yeah. And I was just ready to get whipped by them and get pancaked, and, and that wasn't the case. We were able to really pressure Garantano. Uh, like I said, stifled the run. Uh, now, granted, they were able to actually run the ball. They got positive yards there, but due to sacks and situations, minus one yard for them rushing. Uh, so, yeah, the front seven for sure, but but our defensive backs are great as well. And... and you know, in the state of the game now, you kind of cringe every single time that there's contention uh, at defense. You go, God, there's going to be pass interference. And you just kind of wait for the flag to come in at the last second. Uh, but, you know, our guys are really disciplined when it comes to that kind of thing. So Fundamentally, they're sound, too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I'll hit on it with one of my braggers, but uh, we got a stud at linebacker. Yeah, well, I don't want to. Well, I didn't know where you were going to go with that, that that end piece there, but that's kind of what I was hitting on when I asked you which, which position group or player stood out to you. Um, I would say, uh, you know, obviously at all phases of the defense, the speed there and the physicality is is second to none. I like the linebacker group. I won't go in depth here, but uh, I think both of them are, are. I hope we picked different ones. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna highlight these guys. Okay. I wanted to, but I I'll, go ahead, one for my I'll go ahead and say this. I think what you're gonna say is Monty Rice. Uh, if I was a betting man, that's who I'd say. But I'm almost more impressed with Nicobe Dean, and here's why: Nicobe Dean has has become the play caller on de- the defensive side of the ball. He's calling a lot more plays. He's kind of the leader, like a Roquan Smith was. And I think what that's shown is. Monty Rice is able to just go out there and just read his keys and absolutely use his instincts to go after everything. Because um, you know N'Kobe Dean's uh, got everything else under control. He sees the field real well. Um, but yeah, this was an interesting game. And, and also to 
contrast what you said. It's funny. I had such high expectations for Fromm the last few years that I feel much more confident when Stetson drops back to throw because I guess I don't have those expectations. And, you know, he's shown a propensity to be able to find those open receivers. Let me put it this way. When he throws over the middle of the field in between the hash marks, I love it. I I just I feel like he's going to put it on the guy's numbers every time. That being said, it will be, I think, the storyline from this Georgia team moving forward will be can there or is there a, 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 a running back that can take over the reins? Um, you know, it was a running back by committee. That's always a good way to, to go about it. But, you know, when you're facing a team like Alabama uh, or, or just any team for that matter, it's nice to get one guy going and get in the flow of the game. Um, if you don't have one guy in the flow of the game, it's hard to, to really have anybody in the flow of the game. So that'll be interesting moving forward. Dominant performance from Georgia defensively. You know, I thought Garantano looked okay in the first half. Uh, you know, he kept, took care of the ball. That being said, you, you just knew going into halftime, yes, Tennessee's up. Yes, everything has gone their way. And defensively, they they played really well defensively. I'm not going to lie. They, they really, between the fourth down stops, um, you know, holding Georgia to a few field goals there, they played their hearts out on the defensive side of the ball. It was the second half woes on offense that really did them in. But you just knew that what Tennessee was doing offensively or the lack thereof, they just weren't going to be able to produce the same numbers in the second half from a point total, from a point standpoint. Um, and as long as Georgia had a few you know, good plays, they were going to end up putting 14-17 on the board at, at minimum. So interesting game, kind of played out how I thought. I, you know, at the beginning of the week, I thought Tennessee would easily backdoor cover this, and the more the the, the week went on, I started to think, well, they don't just don't have the talent to keep up for uh, for you know sixty minutes. But got to give credit to Tennessee. I think they I think they have all the chance in the world to uh, beat Florida and finish second in the East. I really do. Um, and Pruitt does have this team going in the right direction. The quarterback play will be the key moving forward. And if they can get someone in there to replace Garantano and, and exceed ex- the expectations that Garantano has. Um, but interesting game. This was, I think we learned a lot about both teams. Yeah. And Pruitt's got to figure out his mask situation. That was atrocious. He looked like a, a, a an old Eastern European granny with those uh, mock scar, uh, mock whatever hoodies but they're like tied on your head it was unbelievable at one time he looked like he was uh you know et phone home yeah i was dying laughing at some of the photoshops west blankenship on twitter said he looked like a to-go order of chicken wings that, that was one great. killed me i audibly laughed at that, that was great <laughs> he did it was so good i don't know what was going on there apparently uh covid comes from your ears and neck according to uh, pruitt all right, Pierce, so the final game we need to talk about is Clemson reigning on the U is back hype train, dominating Miami 42-17. to 17. Just when you think you can have something, just when you get to thinking, hey, hey, we might got something here. Clemson is so far superior to the rest of the ACC, it ain't even funny. I think we might have let the Miami hype train get a little bit uh, too far uh, ahead of ourselves there. Um Maybe because we're just so desperate for someone to challenge Clemson, but they were not there. It was an absolute boat race. Uh, Miami was very sloppy. They racked up more penalty yards than passing yards. Derek King was ineffective and threw for two interceptions, and that's just not going to work against the Canes, who have a phenomenal offense. Um, Derek King is good. I don't think he's necessarily amazing, but you can't rely fully on him either. Again, like if you can't get it going there at quarterback, it's just going to be a long night for you, and it was for the Canes. Uh, Clemson defensively was lights out, held the uh, Canes to just nine first downs. 
Uh, we've seen Clemson lose ones they shouldn't before, and it could happen this season, but it just seems improbable with Trevor Lawrence and Travis, Travis Etienne, who are so much better than everyone else who plays their positions in college football. I'm not saying that necessarily Clemson is the best offense in college football. I just think that Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne are the best at their single positions uh, than anybody else. They, I mean, they could be suiting up on Sunday, and I wouldn't even bat an eye. So uh, really, really good for Clemson. Manny Diaz has this trending in the right direction. It is just year two for him, um, but but it wasn't their night there uh, in, in Clemson, unfortunately. Not surprised in this game in the slightest. This ended up on uh, Friday evening, uh, Saturday morning being my favorite play of the week. Uh, you just kind of felt that Clemson was undervalued coming in due to the hype train uh, that Miami had experience, has experienced over the last few weeks. Um, but but I will say this: my biggest takeaway from this game is yes, Clemson looked good. Uh, Etienne, Etienne, to your point, you know, 149 uh, rushing yards and 17 carries, an 8.8 clip, two TDs. You know, Trevor Lawrence very efficient, 29 of 41 for 292, three touchdowns, zero pick, uh, a pass rating 154.7. That being said, you know, yes, if you're a Miami fan, you wanted to see a little bit more out of this team. That being said, now you can just go out and play football. The hype train had gotten to a point where I don't think Miami could reach. They're not talented enough to reach those expectations. They they will get there, to your point. I think Manny Diaz, especially uh, with the addition of Rhett Lashley, obviously Derek King played a, a heck of a game. Didn't struggle throwing the football, but you know made, made up for it on the ground with his uh, legs. That being said, just struggle to get anything going uh, outside of that. But they're they're gonna they're 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 working in the right direction. This is probably the most uh, promising Miami team we've seen really in about eight years or so, um, maybe even longer than that. So I do like uh, Miami moving forward. I think with these expectations off their shoulders now, they can go out and just actually play, uh, you know, stress free ball. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, uh, you know, maybe run the table or maybe only lose one more game. Um, I do think now with those expectations off their shoulders, they, they're, they're going to play with a more free spirit. Um, but, yeah, Clemson, obviously not surprised by this. Clemson uh, moves on and, you know, ought to have these type of games every, for every game for the rest of the season. They're that good. One more game. We didn't pick this one, but I want to – we also are not able to recap one of our games because it hasn't been played yet due to COVID situation – or actually it was the hurricane, uh, the Coastal Carolina uh, game. We are not able to recap. That will be played on Wednesday night. But really quickly, I just want to highlight uh, – it was almost my ugly – or almost my ugly performance of the week, which was for uh, officiating. But the ending of the Arkansas-Auburn game, what was that? Luckiest team in the nation is Auburn. Uh I didn't see it real time because I was watching something else. Um, but what the heck? So so they're third and one on the Arkansas's 19-yard line with 20 seconds left. Auburn uh, snaps the ball. Bo Nix, who's trying to, to spike the ball to set up a field goal attempt, uh, awkwardly you know, doesn't get the snap cleanly in his hands. Then he spikes the ball facing backwards. So... They, they blow the whistle dead. Arkansas is chasing the ball. They blow the whistle dead. Should have been a fumble. I mean, he threw the ball backwards. It should have been a fumble. It was a lateral. Uh, it was not a pass. Uh, but they blow the whistle dead. I think everybody was just really confused what the heck was happening. Arkansas didn't get a clean recover, which is ultimately why they justified this call. Um, and it sets up a field goal attempt uh, from 39 yards out, which they get off and ultimately win the game. The SEC officiating or the SEC came out and said that it should have been ruled a fumble. It would have been Arkansas's ball, uh, but ultimately doesn't go their way. I mean, 
we could be looking, Pierce, if this had gone uh, the way of the Razorbacks, we would be looking at a two in one Razorbacks team. Felipe Franks played pretty well as well. Um, you know, I, I hate that that happened. It, it happens, but the luckiest team in the nation for sure is Auburn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Auburn, oh, this is a tough one. Um, I've got a lot I could say about Auburn. This game I didn't follow as much. I had to go back and watch this. You're right. I mean, the the play of the game was Bo Nix uh, turning around in, inexplicably and and spiking the ball in a backwards pass, uh, backwards lateral, not a pass, not throwing it down to spike it like a, a you know most normal uh, quarterbacks do. You know, you look at it, you got to feel for Arkansas in this game. You also got to go back and, and and feel for Kentucky. Kentucky got gypped on a on um, you know a, a touchdown call that was reversed or, or or not called touchdown that looked clearly like a touchdown. So, you know, two uh, two very fishy uh, outcomes in uh, Auburn's two wins um, this season. That being said, uh, there are more takeaways. I think if you um, are looking at this game objectively. F- that make you feel better about Arkansas. I mean, a lot of people criticize Sam Pittman coming in uh, and bringing in Felipe Franks. He's been a very calming effect there, had a very calming effect on the offense. Barry Odom's been spectacular on the defensive side of the ball, even though they gave up points um, or gave up uh, yards. They didn't, you know, they could have given up a lot more points to this Auburn team. Um, Oh, and by the way, they, you know, the pump block uh, was the first points of the game for Auburn. So, you know, seven of those points were not for, from Barry Odom's defense. So, um, Sam Pittman's done a, a good job of surrounding himself with some some talented coordinators, and I think this team's a lot better than uh, talent-wise than you'd think. And um, it just took a new regime change there in Fayetteville to to, to bring the best out of them. Interested to see. I, I, I'm I'm more optimistic on Arkansas moving forward, and uh, I think this just makes me uh, this confirms what I thought about Auburn. They are are going to struggle this year, and we'll see. I think they're going to need a couple more of these type of calls or or no calls to uh to to even win just a couple more games this season i think they're that unfortunately that poor new segment pierce let's get into our braggers of the week i don't know how many you've got here but i'm gonna rattle mine off really quickly michael carter running back from unc 214 yards on 17 carries in their win isaiah spiller a running back from texas a&m instrumental in their win 174 yards and two touchdowns and Connor Basilek I think is how you say his name quarterback from Missouri 29 for 30 29 of 34 uh, 406 yards four touchdowns in their win at home and then finally the linebacker that I already teased Monty Rice from Georgia eight tackles two of those for loss and a fumble recovery for a touchdown scoop and score for uh, Monty Rice there in their win over Tennessee wow two I thought you were going to rattle off about six or seven there we hit on this earlier. I got to go Michael Carter, running back from UNC. He was not the only running back to, to reach uh, the 150-plus marker, but he did have 214 yards on 17 carries for a 12.6 average. Uh, did you with, listen to my braggers? Maybe I didn't that hear. Was, that was my first bragger. Oh, was it? <laughs> I heard Basilek. That's all I heard. Michael Carter, Isaiah Spiller, Connor Basilek, and Monty Rice. We can have the same Man, one. you rattled through it then. I Wow, I must have been in my own zone over here. Listen, well, I'm just less, I, I'm, I'm just, more succinct than I'm you. I'm just going to add on to, to what you said Go about ahead. Michael Go Carter. Ahead. Kudos on him. I could have taken the back, or the the guy that just finished, I think, with a measly 170 yards uh, on about 20 carries right behind Michael Carter. Um, I'm pretty sure these are different from yours, though, moving forward. Um, I have 
I think it's Kieran Williams. Maybe it's Kyron Williams. Okay. Um, from Notre Dame, uh, running back, 185 yards, 19 carries, 9.7 average, two TDs. Yes, it might have been against a, a, a down Florida State team defensively, but you still got to, you know, you still got to produce. And he did and, and had a, a big, big run or two there um, in South Bend. So, Kyron Williams, uh, kudos on you. Kevin Harris, uh, running back, South Carolina, is my next bragger. You know, you look at it, and and for all the woes that South Carolina has, Kevin Harris is actually a, a, a quiet, bright spot that they've had. Uh, he's been a pretty solid running back, 171 yards on 21 carries, albeit against Vandy, but 8.1 clip and two TDs. Kevin Harris, good on you. And then last but not least, I've been touting this guy, so it's a little bit of a homer pick, but Phil Jerkovich, uh, QB from Boston College, 358 yards on uh, 19 to 35 attempts, uh, passer rating 168.5. That was better than Trevor Lawrence. Three TDs, zero interceptions, which has been which was the highlight of the game for him. He struggled a little bit to get things going in the first half in most games, and while he may not have excelled too much in this game on the first half, he just excelled throughout. Uh, Phil Jerkovich is a guy that you need to uh, to pin your hat on moving forward. I think this kid's a, a player, and even though Boston College may not uh, compete for the ACC, they they could upset some people. So good on you, Phil Jerkovich. Those are my braggers. Of of the week. There you go. That is going to do it for us. A couple of housekeeping notes before we let you go. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We will have a bonus podcast for you guys this week. Going to drop our Big Ten preview. Uh, looking forward to that in a couple weeks. Want to go ahead and get that out there for you guys to start uh, looking ahead as we get ready to introduce a new conference back to the fold here for the college football slate of 2020. It's going to be weird. Starting over for week one. I don't really know what week we're in anymore. Just know that there's football and I couldn't be happier. Make sure you're following us on social media at Bragging Pod. That's bragging without the G across all platforms like I teased already. Might have a couple of special projects. I am outlining every single game on Sunday mornings, five minutes or less, just what you need to know, uh, what, what you need to watch for, and uh, why you should care about certain games as we head into the Saturday matchup. You know, I understand not everybody's dedicated as us listening and watching to every game that's around. So this is just the you know, top three games to watch, top three games to keep an eye on, uh, maybe flip over to at halftime and things of that nature. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, Pierce might be have something new dropping as well. I did live tweet this past Saturday. It was super fun. Follow along so that you can join the conversation there at Bragging Pod on Twitter. Leave us a review, share the episode, all of that goodness. Thank you so much for being along for the journey. I'm Madison. And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.